Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let me begin by asking you a question. Listen carefully. What, in your estimation, is the most spiritual activity that you will engage in on any given day? What is the most spiritual activity that you will engage in on any given day? Now think deeply about that for a minute while I tell you a story. Last year I was with my friend Ryan Orban, the director of The Hangar in Brookshire, one of our valued local partners. The Hangar is a ministry that exists to mentor, disciple, and serve at-risk youth and their families. After a morning of service with a lot of volunteers, Ryan parked his truck in the trailer in front of the hangar, and then he hopped into my pickup truck so we could go grab some lunch with the volunteers. Well, a couple of minutes after we left, Ryan realized that he'd left his keys in his truck. So we turned around to go back. Less than five minutes after we had left, his truck and the trailer were gone, stolen. It happened that quickly. Well, of course, we called and reported the incident to the police. We drove around the surrounding neighborhoods looking for the truck, for the trailer, and uh, then decided to go on to lunch. So while we were at lunch, about an hour later, we received a phone call and informing us that the police had found the truck and the trailer along with the teen who had stolen them, and of course, the teen was arrested. A week later... Ryan and I had the opportunity to meet with this young man, and to his credit, he did express remorse about what he had done and the trouble he had caused. But I took advantage of the opportunity to ask this young man the same question I asked you. What is the most spiritual activity you will engage in on any given day? Well, the young man thought for a minute, and then he answered, prayer. I said, no. (laughs) Then he confidently followed up with reading your Bible. I said, no. And then he said, well, is it going to church? And I said, no, absolutely not. I explained to him that none of those answers were correct. And then I explained why. The most spiritual activity you will engage in on any given day, I explained, is making choices. Prayer is a choice. Reading your Bible is a choice. Going to church is a choice. Breaking the law is a choice. Stealing someone else's vehicle is a choice. And then I added, this is the most important thing to remember about making choices. Our choices will either draw us closer to God and the blessings that are found in Him, or our choices will steer us away from God to a life of shame and fear and regrets. Our choices matter because we are writing the story of our lives one choice at a time. Our lives are essentially the sum of our choices. Nowhere is this better illustrated in the Scripture than in the books of Kings and Chronicles where the Scripture records for us the stories, the histories of the, of, of the kings who ruled over Israel and Judah. In, in, the, in each instance, 
In each instance, the life of each leader is reduced to a single summary statement. Either he did evil in the sight of the Lord, or he did good in the sight of the Lord. Regardless of how popular a leader might have been, regardless of how highly they esteemed themselves, God issued the final word about their lives based on the sum of their choices. Now this morning we're going to take a look at the last chapter in Joshua where Joshua called upon the people to make a choice. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, he said. Whether the gods which your father served beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Now the message this morning is under title, The Power of Our Choices. Now I want you to understand that the Bible has a whole lot to say about the importance and the power of our choices. The book of Deuteronomy, for example, is a record of the final three sermons that Moses preached to the children of Israel. Standing atop Mount Nebo, I've been there many times, you have a magnificent view of the Holy Land. It's in the Moab region of Jordan. Knowing that he would not enter the promised land with the people, Moses preached these messages to the people because he felt an urgency of reminding them of the importance of making good choices. In his first sermon, Moses exhorted the people to remember and learn from the past. Learning from the past is important when it comes to making good choices. You know why? Because good choices are often informed by a lot of previously made bad choices. Learn from the past. In his second sermon, Moses reviewed the laws the people were to live by in the promised land. Choosing to keep or break these laws had consequences. Again, a reminder of the importance of making good choices. And then in his final sermon, Moses exhorted the people to keep the covenant. Again, a choice that either honored or dishonored God. And more than once in these sermons, Moses reminded the Israelites to not forget God or the wonderful things he had done to lead them out of Egypt and to bring them to this magnificent point in history. And he cautioned them that when they enjoyed the spoils of the promised land, they should not become so arrogant as to think that it was all the result of their own efforts and accomplishments. Listen, if you ever, if you ever, and I hope you'll take a picture of it if you do, but if you ever see a turtle sitting atop a fence post, you can be certain of at least one thing. That turtle didn't get there by itself. (laughs) If the promised land is a fence post, then Israel was a turtle and God put them there. So when it came to the end of Joshua's life, he had the same concern as Moses. He was concerned about the choices the people would make moving forward. And so he issued a final challenge to the Israelites to make good choices, and he did it at a place called Shechem. Now, I love this because Shechem is a very strategic place for Joshua to issue 
his final sermon to the children of Israel and his charge for them to make good choices. The name Shechem in Hebrew actually means shoulder. And it's appropriately named because Shechem is a valley or a pass between two mountains. On one side, you have Mount Gerizim. On the other side, you have Mount Ebal. And Shechem sits between them. Now, in his third and final sermon to the children of Israel, Moses had instructed Joshua and those who would lead the Israelites into the promised land to participate in what we could call a nationwide object lesson at this place called Shechem. Six of the tribes were instructed to stand atop Mount Gerizim. Six of the tribes were to stand atop of Mount Ebal. And then the Levites were to stand in between in Shechem to recite the blessings that result from obeying God and the curses that result from disobeying God. And so when the Levites recited a blessing, the tribes on Mount Gerizim were to shout affirmatively, Amen! And when they recited a curse, the tribes on Mount Ebal were also to affirmatively shout out, Amen! or let it be so. This was a dramatic way to illustrate for the people and for the next generation that was present the power and the consequences of choices. Now, the people fulfilled these instructions after the Battle of Ai in Joshua chapter 8. Pastor Ryan preached on this passage, great message a couple of weeks ago, uh, illustrated it on the whiteboard. If you haven't listened to that message, you should. So when it came time for Joshua to address the people for the final time before his death, He spoke to them from Shechem. And Joshua said to the people, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Once again, I remind you that the most spiritual activity you will engage in on any given day is making choices. Every day we must choose whom we will serve. And what we decide is extremely important because our choices have consequences and bad choices often have victims. Now, Proverbs 13, 13, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, speaks about why choices matter. This passage says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres a commandment will be rewarded. Paraphrase, this first cautions, if you despise the word of God, you're going to get in a whole lot of trouble. But if you choose to obey him, things will go a lot better for you. And you know, in a sense, the entire Bible is a commentary on this verse. Our lives are a commentary on this verse as well. But on this July 4th weekend, we must understand that the warning found in this verse also applies to us as a nation. We cannot, as a nation, continue to despise the objective truth of God's Word and replace it with our own subjective truth and think that things will go well for us. They won't, and they aren't. That's why we must answer the question, whom will you serve?
Now, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other or hold to one and despise the other. Now, there's a simple yet very profound principle in this verse. If we choose to obey and serve God, then that choice will determine our attitude toward the other master. Have you noticed that the closer you draw to God, the more you hate the world and the things of the world? But listen, if you choose the other master, that will also determine your love for God. Have you ever noticed that when you snuggle up closer to the world, your love for God begins to cool and you're less inclined to obey him and to serve him? That's why our choices matter. The problem with too many Christians is that they really don't want to choose one or the other, but rather try to benefit from serving or pleasing both masters, and that never works. Too many Christians have just enough of Christ to not be able to enjoy the world and just enough of the world to not be able to enjoy Christ. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, said this, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, something remarkable happens when we are exodused out of darkness and transferred into the light. We are now living life under a new master, and we are no longer under any obligation to obey our old master. If we do so, it's not because we have to, it's because we choose to. And remember that before you can ever say yes to your old master, you must first say no to your new master. Have you ever stopped to realize that before you can say yes to sin, you have to first say no to God? Work that out in your heart. Work that out in your mind. Remember, remember, we must choose which master we will serve. So whom will you serve? Joshua called on the people to choose today whom they would serve. He made no allowance for indecision. He made no allowance for delay. He made no allowance for choosing two, ma two masters. He said, you must choose today whom you will serve, and it can't be two masters. So whom will you serve? The answer to this question has never been more important or urgent than it is for us today because we are living in the midst of a chaotic culture. One of the reasons why our culture is in chaos is because we arrogantly place a greater value on our thoughts than God's thoughts. Years ago, I heard about an entomological study that concluded roaches are smarter than earthworms but dumber than bees. Now, why would someone spend our tax dollars <laughs> to conduct a study like that? That's the first question I asked. And then the, the rest of the report said, you know, people who kill bugs, this is important information. They need this information. All right. But you know, when it comes to the scale of relative intelligence, it's possible that we might be smarter than roaches, but we are definitely not smarter than God. In Isaiah 55, 11, God said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The most destructive thing 
that we can do as individuals and as a nation is to disregard God's ways and thoughts as revealed in the objective truth of his word. Now, we need to understand something, especially in the world we're living in today. When we choose to obey God, when we choose to, to obe- base our choices on the, objective, on the objective truth of his word, we will invite opposition, we will invite trouble, <clears throat> excuse me, from those whose choices are not informed by a biblical worldview. In other words, by those who think they're smarter than God. The daily intention of this world to press us into its mold, I believe, is perhaps more intense and stronger today than it has ever been. Everywhere we turn, we see the fruit of chaos, of what happens when we make choices based on the whims of culture rather than on the wisdom of God. In the words of Paul to the Philippians in chapter 1, he says, look, if we as followers of Christ are to fulfill our role as children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we appear as lights holding fast the word of life, then we must make choices that are are aligned with the objective truth of God's word. And when we do that and when opposition comes, then choose once again to follow the admonition of Jesus to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Listen, just because Just because I disagree with those who hold views contrary to the objective truth of God's word does not mean that I hate them. The best way to love someone with whom you disagree is not by compromising what you believe so that you won't offend them, rather, but rather by courageously, courteously, and compassionately demonstrating and advocating for the relevance of God's truth. Listen, if you sit in the back of my pickup truck and tell me that you identify as a spare tire, the least loving thing that I can do is to reinforce your notion about who and what you think you are for fear of offending you. I would rather choose to speak the truth to you in love and then to continue loving you even if you continue to insist that you're a spare tire. Pray that I don't get a flat. I think I'd be a little confused about where to place those lug nuts. (laughs) So whom will you serve? The answer to this question is important because we are living in the midst of a confused culture. In today's confused cultural climate, we are constantly being pressured to embrace positions and behaviors that run contrary to the teaching of the Scriptures. We're pressured to go along just to get along, and if we dare take a stance that is based on the objective truth of God's Word, then we are labeled as hateful and intolerant, a position, by the way, which is itself hateful and intolerant. When we are pressured, listen to this, when we are pressured by our culture to accept any positions or behaviors We better first determine whether God approves of those positions or behaviors. The issue is not how we prefer to live our lives, but rather understanding what the author of life has said about how we should live and then choosing to obey him. We have to stop 
offending God because we're too scared to offend the people who have adopted positions that are contrary to the objective truth of God's Word. It's possible for you and I to love and affirm things that God hates, and in the process, we lose all distinction between ourselves and the world, and we only add to the confusion that is engulfing our world today. That's why we must choose clarity over confusion. And the pressure's great. But listen, we're not the first generation of Christ followers to live in the midst of a confused culture. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said to them, grow up in Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. And again to the church at Colossae, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive or philosophy through empty deception according to the traditions of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I want you to understand something, that while our culture is confused about everything from gender to feticide, God is not confused. There is absolutely no confusion in heaven. God is not the author of confusion. So choose God. Choose the clarity that comes when we embrace and stand firm upon the objective truth of his word. So whom will you serve? The answer to this question is important because we are living in the midst of a collapsing culture. In today's collapsing cultural climate, we find ourselves living in a world that is imploding under the weight of its own stupidity. I'm sorry for having to use that word, but it really is the best word to use because it refers to a great lack of intelligence and common sense and the inability to think clearly. Common sense in America has taken a beating, and it's on life support. I'm a 66-year-old man. Explain to me how in my lifetime we have somehow lost the capacity to know the difference between men and women. I recently listened to an interview where a guy claimed to be a woman who identified as a wolf. How did we get here? My heart was saddened for this person who is missing out on the beauty of God's best because he's chosen to believe a lie. And listen, it is a lie. The best way to test the validity of his claim is for this person to go live with wolves. The wolves will have absolute clarity. But this is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves living in a culture where we are gagging on the toxic fumes of stupidity. A biological man who thinks he's a woman, who identifies as a wolf, is exhibit A of where cumulative error will take a confused culture. We now have people who identify as trans species. What is next? This is a consequence of believing the lies of the one whom Jesus called the father of lies. 
Satan has convinced our culture that the benefits of what we want or claim surely outweigh the cost. We have swallowed his lies. We have followed him down paths that are leading only to disappointment, destruction, division, and death. We have given an inch and he's taken a mile. We cannot think that our culture and our nation is going to survive and be the exception of the teaching of Proverbs 13, 13, if we continue to despise the objective truth of God's word. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres a commandment will be rewarded. That's why we must choose the wisdom of God as revealed in the objective truth of his word rather than choosing the subjective and the unstable and the ever-changing views of a culture that is in crisis and totally confused. So whom will you serve? Before we can influence a chaotic, confused, and collapsing culture, we must begin with ourselves. We must make the choices that will help us, in the words of Paul, to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Look, we turned the lights on in this building, not so we could all sit in here and look at the lights and admire the lights. That's not the purpose of light. The purpose of light is to enable others to see what they otherwise would be, what they would otherwise be unable to see. Light chases away confusion. Light brings clarity. Do our lives bring light? Do they bring clarity? Do they chase away confusion? Or are we so aligned with culture that we contribute to the mess? I love Psalm 69.6, great passage of Scripture. It says, Lord, don't, don't, don't let me be a stumbling block to those who trust in you, and don't let me confuse those who were seeking after you. I hope our lives are not contributing to the confusion. Our choices make the difference. So in closing, I want to admonish you to choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And let me encourage you to do these things. First of all, let me encourage you to begin by choosing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul admonished in Ephesians 5.18. What does that mean? Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that you allow the Holy Spirit the freedom to govern every area of your life. Now, don't buy into that theology that says you need more of the Holy Spirit. That's nonsense. You received all of the Holy Spirit you will ever receive when you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Stop trying to think you need more of the Holy Spirit and instead concentrate on giving the Holy Spirit more of you. The Holy Spirit will give you courage. The Holy Spirit will give you compassion to stand firmly on the objective truth of God's Word in a world that despises God's ways and thoughts. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will give you the discernment you need so that you will know the difference between good and evil in a society that's calling good evil and evil good. We need the Holy Spirit. Second, in the words of 1 Peter 3.15, choose to sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Listen, if you invited Christ into your life, he is resident. Now let him be president. Let him rule. Let him reign. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account 
for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Do people ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you? Do we live distinctively enough from culture that our lives cause people to thirst for God and to wonder why we live as we do? Third, and very important, choose to stand always on the objective truth of God's Word rather than on the subjective and ever-changing cultural winds that blow about the meaningless philosophies and empty deceptions that have thrown our culture into utter confusion. Don't buy into that mess. Fourth, in the words of Paul in Colossians 4, 6, choose to let your speech always be with grace, but seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And finally, in the words of Paul to the saints in Rome, as much as it depends on you, choose to be at peace with all people. I'm not looking to get into any arguments or fights or debates with anybody. Listen, if you can make a compelling argument for your view based upon sound ex hermeneutical principle from the scripture that leads to sound exegesis, I'll listen to you. But I'm not, I'm not interested in every subjective view that is out there. I want to base my life on something that doesn't change the objective truth of the Word of God. Our choices matter. Our choices have power. Our choices will determine what happens in our home. Our homes will determine what happens in our communities. Our communities will determine what happens in our nation. So let's choose wisely for ourselves, for our households, for the sake of the next generation. And in doing so, let's fulfill the role that Jesus said we have. He said, you are the salt of the earth. We need to be salt today. Salt can keep our decaying culture from rotting even more than it already has. We are to be the light of the world. We are to help bring illumination. We are to help bring clarity. We are to help enable people to see and understand what they otherwise would be unable to see. And how can they do that if we remain silent and we don't share with others God's plans and purpose for life and for living? Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. But I want you to know, as for me and my house, in spite of what's happening around me, we're going to serve the Lord. So whom will you serve? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, I come to you in Christ's name. and Father, I'm grateful to you for Jesus. I'm so grateful, Father, that you chose us. Father, I'm so grateful that you've taken us into your family. I'm so grateful, Father, that you transferred us from darkness into light. And Father, I'm so grateful that you loved us enough to give us instructions about how best to live our lives and reach our fullest and highest potential in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us daily to make choices that reflect our relationship with you, that reflect the truth and the relevance of your word in a culture that is utterly confused. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. Help us to depend upon the Holy Spirit whom you've given to indwell us, Father, 
to live our lives in a compelling way, in a way that will make people thirst to know you. Father, thank you again for loving and caring for us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.